Support for this podcast comes from San Francisco International Airport. At SFO, you can discover award-winning flavors and unique shops all before takeoff. Learn more about what's at SFO at flysfo.com. Hey there, this is Brittany Luce from NPR's It's Been a Minute. KQED's podcasts like The Bay, Bay Curious, Mind Shift, Right Nowish, and more all tell the stories of the Bay and beyond with reliable, human-centered journalism. They aim to inspire, make you think, entertain, and expand your understanding of the place you call home. Here's how you can support podcasting at KQED. Showing your support is easy, and you can join Brittany in supporting KQED Podcast too at donate.kqed.org slash podcast. That's donate.kqed.org slash podcast. From KQED. From KQED in San Francisco, this is Forum. I'm Mina Kim. Both Democrat and Republican lawmakers in Alabama are scrambling to pass laws to try and limit the chaotic effects of a state Supreme Court decision that found frozen embryos used in fertility treatments are children. Already, major IVF providers across the state have suspended their services, leaving families going through IVF in limbo. The ruling, says UC Davis law professor Mary Ziegler, is a reminder of how important fetal personhood is becoming, or the belief that a fetus or even embryo is entitled to constitutional rights. This hour, we look at ongoing fallout in Alabama and where the fetal personhood movement stands. Join us. Welcome to Forum. I'm Mina Kim. Crowds supporting fertility care gathered outside the Alabama State House yesterday as lawmakers introduced proposals to try and blunt the effect of a first-of-its-kind state Supreme Court decision. The Alabama High Court two weeks ago held that frozen embryos outside the body are human beings, and anyone discarding them could be liable for wrongful death. The decision has thrown fertility clinics into chaos and legal uncertainty, prompting providers and also embryo transport companies to suspend services. And it's left people in the midst of IVF treatments unsure if they'll be able to carry on with them. Joining me first is Amy Yurkinen, senior reporter at AL.com, focused on healthcare and criminal justice. Amy, thanks so much for being with us. Hi, thank you so much for having me. So give us a snapshot of what's been happening in Alabama over the last couple of weeks, beginning with what you've heard from families who've been affected. Well, uh, it's been a lot going on in the past couple of weeks. Um, But first off, I think I've heard a lot of heartbreak from families who are involved in the IVF process right now. A lot of them were maybe in the middle of treatment or anticipating having an embryo uh, transported or, and there's right now they are dealing with a lot of uncertainty about when they might be able to resume those treatments. A lot of them are unsure whether they'll be able to get pregnant at this point. And so people are really upset by that. Um, there was a huge crowd outside the Capitol Wednesday morning, kind of protesting that included a lot of people who are dealing with this problem right now who may not be able to have their treatments continued or may not be able to have them continued for maybe several more months. 
Yeah. I mean, anyone who has undergone IVF knows that it is a time sensitive, it is an expensive, it is often a physically or emotionally draining process. And, and as you mentioned, just in terms of the steps, right, the process involves injections to stimulate egg production. Those are fertilized in a lab, then transfer, transferred to the uterus. And the hope is that'll lead to pregnancy. And, and the big issue is that often not all the embryos are transferred because there can be several, right, Amy? Yes, that's correct. I mean, the way that clinics in the U.S. typically do IVF is, is, you know, as you mentioned, women take these injections to to get eggs mature enough to have them fertilized. Um, and they try to really fertilize as many of those as possible and able to get in order to get a successful transfer of an embryo. They want an embryo that's healthy. Uh, they want one that looks good. Um, so that may involve fertilizing several at one time. That way, also, if a family wants to go back, everybody try for another pregnancy, um, you know, they can go back and, and use one of the embryos that's already been created. Yeah, exactly. Especially if initial attempts fail. And yet, Given all of that, clinics just didn't feel like they could continue with the process. Tell us what the status is, what clinics right now are doing. So Alabama has five IVF clinics, uh, from my understanding, and three of them right now that I know of have paused operations. I haven't heard from all the clinics across the state, um, but yeah, there have been pauses in fertility treatments, not all of them, but I think a lot of clinics, the three that have announced pauses, have basically said that they're holding off on creating embryos and transferring embryos at this point, um, which again is really tough on these families because those are expensive and time-sensitive procedures, and right now they just can't get them done. And in terms of transporting embryos to other states, it doesn't sound like it's an option for these families to transfer them and get the treatments in places where this ruling, of course, has not happened. That's correct. We have transport companies that have also suspended operations in Alabama, which means to some extent these embryos that can't be used in Alabama are also stuck in Alabama. You know, even if the transport companies were willing to take them across state lines, I've talked to families who said that just really isn't an option because they might have to restart all the way from zero in a clinic in another state. So, you know, that's a really difficult thing to ask people to do anyway. Um, but it's not even a possibility, even for those who may have the resources and may have the time, may have the ability to cross states because some of these companies just aren't even doing it. They're afraid of what they could be held liable for if something went wrong during that transport of these embryos. We're talking with Amy Yurkin and senior reporter for AL.com. And I want to invite you, our listeners, to join the conversation have you or someone you know undergone IVF treatment or plan to? How do you feel about what's happening in Alabama? What questions do you have about the impacts of the ruling that frozen embryos used in fertility treatments are children? So right now, Amy, state lawmakers of both parties are proposing bills to try and limit the effects of this decision. Can you run through what's on the table right now? Sure. So there have been a couple Republican proposals to basically that would give immunity to providers who are providing these services as long as they're providing care up to the standards that are kind of laid out by professional organizations. Um, 
those are the bills that look most likely to pass at this point. Those sort of have some bipartisan support. And the governor has signaled that she would sign it if it came to her desk. Um, it's unclear right now whether that would be a permanent fix for this or just a temporary fix, um, maybe for a year until lawmakers kind of go back, revisit this and rewrite the law. Um, Democrats have also proposed their own bills um, to basically stipulate in state law that embryos that exist outside the womb are not considered people under any Alabama law. Uh, those don't quite have as much support as the Republican measures do. So, so it looks like right now the Republicans are really trying to rush these to a vote um, and get them to the governor's office. And that could happen maybe as early as next week. It's not mm. entirely clear. But yeah, that's basically where things are right now. Well, the Zisner writes, between recent laws and rulings regarding abortion and fetal personhood, it seems Alabama is simultaneously forcing one group of women to bear children they do not want and preventing another group of women from bearing children they do want. And you can share your thoughts at 866-733-6786. You can also post online. Our social channels are at KQED Forum. We're on X, Instagram, our digital community on Discord. You can email us forum at kqed.org. I want to bring into the conversation now Mary Ziegler, professor of law and legal historian at UC Davis School of Law. Mary, thanks so much for being with us. Thanks for having me. So can you just walk us through the ruling that got us here by the Alabama Supreme Court, which you've called extraordinary? Why? So what what happened here really, uh, it was extraordinary, I think, in the sense that this is, it, in some ways, it's not a constitutional ruling. It could have been a broader ruling. So I'll start with the details and then talk about why I think it was stunning. So the case began when uh, three families learned that embryos they had in storage in a clinic in Mobile, Alabama, which is a town of about 200,000 had been accidentally destroyed when a patient from a hospital connected to the clinic had entered the storage facility taken hold of the embryos and then accidentally dropped them and destroyed them. So those couples brought a bunch of different causes of action in a lawsuit against the clinic, including wrongful death. And the state's wrongful death law only applies to children or persons. This was a wrongful death of a minor law. And the state Supreme Court ruled not only that those embryos were children under the law, but referred to uh, scripture in justifying the ruling and suggested that the voters of Alabama intended the law to be understood in keeping with scripture. Um, the ruling, of course, is limited, at least for the moment, to state wrongful death law, which is a major enough development. But I think the language of the opinion could easily apply to the recognition of personhood for embryos or fetuses in other contexts, including the state constitution. So I think regardless of what the state legislature comes up with in the next couple of weeks, we're likely to see uh, questions about the scope of this ruling and what the state court is going to do next continue. Yeah. You mentioned scripture, and I just want to say Chief Justice Tom Parker's concurring opinion said, even before birth, all human beings bear the image of God and their lives cannot be destroyed without effacing his glory. The Ruling also used the term extrauterine children, and I had not heard that before. I'm wondering, had you, Mary? Uh, no, I mean, so the, the vocabulary within the pro-life or anti-abortion movement has, has changed in recent years. Most listeners are probably familiar with the language of like unborn human being or 
unborn child. Um, recently, I've, you've started to see more pre-born versus unborn, but I, I hadn't heard extra uterine <laughs> particularly. Um, often because I think for people in the movement, it doesn't matter whether you're talking about a zygote or an, an embryo that's frozen or a fetus at eight weeks in the womb. It, it's sort of all the same thing once an egg is fertilized. So th this was, I, I'm not sure if this was just a location of the court, but that was a new one to me. Yes. And you talked about the broader impacts of this. Well, within Alabama, even they're quite profound, but if an embryo is a person, then they're used in so many things, right? For, for research, for science and so on. Mm -hmm. Right. I mean, so some people listening may remember the debates about stem cell research when George W. Bush was president. And those debates in part reflected uh, what happens during in vitro fertilization, where some couples have extra embryos that they donate for research for potential life-saving therapies. So if more states um, issue rulings like this that have downstream effects for in vitro fertilization that could have impacts on uh, stem cell research and other kinds of scientific study. And then just in terms of the implications of IVF, I mean, would it mean that that all embryos would need to be implanted? Uh, I'm just trying to think about the implications and <laughs> yeah. the process that Amy described to us, you know, as, as really needing for many families to be able to have embryos in storage. Yeah, I mean, it, it seems like that would be the case. Um, so the Alabama Supreme Court didn't really spell out what, what it would require. But if you consider a frozen embryo to be a child or person, then clearly you couldn't donate a person for research. You clearly couldn't destroy a person. Um, it's not clear you could store a person, right? I mean, you couldn't put a child in a freezer for, you know, 10 years or something, even if there would be no damage to that person in the process. So other states that have considered this question, like Louisiana, essentially say any embryo you create, you have to implant. And that's the position, I think, of some in the anti-abortion movement. Um, there's also implications, of course, for people doing e even doing IVF in that context, because if you inadvertently destroy an embryo, right, and not on purpose by accident, you could still open yourself up to wrongful death liability. So many implications. More after the break. I mean, Kim. Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. Set 10 years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. We've all got those parts of our house where the internet just won't go. Well, if you had wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you could worry less about dead spots. Because with wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you get fast speeds, reliable connection in every room, and power for all of your devices, even when everyone's online. That's wall-to-wall Wi-Fi only with Xfinity. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. This is Forum. I'm Mina Kim. We're looking at the Alabama State Supreme Court ruling that frozen embryos 
our children. We're looking at what led up to the decision and its fallout with Mary Ziegler, professor of law and legal historian at UC Davis School of Law, and Amy Yurkadin, senior reporter at AL.com, focused on health care and criminal justice. And we're hearing from you, our listeners. Have you or someone you know undergone IVF treatment or plan to? How do you feel about what's happening in Cal- in Alabama and the effect it may have broadly, maybe even ultimately in California? What questions do you have about the impacts of the fetal personhood movement? What do you think about efforts to limit the ruling's impact that are right now moving through the Alabama State Legislature? The email address is forum at kqed.org. Our social channels are at KQED Forum. Our phone number is 866-733-6786, 866-733-6786. Before the break, you were just mentioning people who were also just involved in the process at clinics accidentally harming um, an embryo. Mary Ziegler being concerned about having legal liability. We were just talking with Amy Yurkinen about people who transport embryos. And of course, things can happen in that transport process. And they too being worried that they could be held legally liable as well, right? Are there any other broader impacts that I'm not thinking of? Well, I think um, anyone involved really in in storage facilities, um, anyone else involved in any way or with any exposure to embryos. The other thing I think that's an important part of this picture is just insurance costs, because with a liability exposure comes higher insurance rates, which will change the calculus, I think, for transport companies and healthcare providers as well, right? It it will radically increase not just the risks of legal exposure, but the cost of doing business in ways that may make people reluctant to provide care in Alabama. Amy, I want to ask you how this is going over in Alabama, because you have Republican lawmakers who are trying to limit the effect of this Supreme Court ruling by saying that IVF clinics and so forth are immune from legal liability. You've had the uh, state officials there saying that they would not prosecute, the state attorney general saying that he would not prosecute people who pursue IVF and so on. But at the same time, we're hearing about things like, you know, an explosive device that was detonated in front of the prosecutor's office. We're hearing about some pushback on Republicans trying to pass these bills. Where would you say this type of ruling stands in Alabama? So Alabama is obviously a conservative state and an anti-abortion state. um, And a lot of Alabama residents are really opposed to abortion. However, I think that support for IVF in Alabama is is fairly broad. And, you know, I've seen nationwide numbers thrown around, like 85% of voters support access to IVF. And, and that really crosses party lines. And I think you're seeing the same thing here in Alabama. I think that broadly voters support access to this fertility treatment, because they do understand that this may be the only way that some people can build families. And if we are a pro-family state, then why would you cut off people's access to that technology and that treatment? Um, There are people out there who do support this ruling. Um, Obviously, we have some anti-abortion activists who believe that life begins the moment an egg is fertilized and that embryos deserve as much protection as every other form of life. However, I I think that what you're seeing on the Republican side is an effort to really retain access to this treatment. And you're not seeing a whole lot of of pushback against that. 
as far as I know, we're not quite clear on, you know, what happened with that explosive device on the AG's office. So, you know, I, I'd love to see more information on that, but I haven't seen an update yet. I don't know whether that's connected or not. Um, but yeah, I would say broadly, even among conservatives, I think many, many support access to IVF here. So Mary, what do you think about that? I mean, Republicans have long maintained that life begins at conception, but we're also seeing them trying to say that um, these embryos, right, can be stored outside of the outside of the uterus and be considered humans while at the same time removing the legal liability that comes with the Supreme Court decision that says they're children. Uh, do you see these efforts as genuine attempts to 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 try to protect IB, IVF and, and push back on the idea, maybe, or um, at least rein in the idea that life begins at fertilization? Well, I think I think it's challenge it's challenging, right? Because I think on the one hand, it's not just some, I think it's many leading anti-abortion groups. Not that necessarily think IVF needs to be banned, but think that IVF needs to be changed. And think that as Students for Life puts it, one of the major national anti-abortion groups, that IVF creates disposable people, right? Um, so I think many Republican voters, many conservative voters support access to IVF, but many Republican and conservative voters, as you mentioned, are aligned with the anti-abortion movement and begin believe that life begins at conception. So I think this is an instance of many people having embraced, including in Alabama, right? Alabama had a 2018 uh, statement of policy that proclaimed support for the rights of unborn persons. And I'm not sure if anyone really thought all the way out what that would mean for IVF. And I think that question is dividing conservatives now with those who are the most, I think, staunchly opposed to abortion saying, maybe IVF does need to change. I mean, maybe the, it shouldn't close down, but maybe this ruling is having desirable effects at least up to a point. And mm. I don't know, even in Alabama, if state lawmakers are all on the same page about this, we'll have to see. But the idea that the bills that Republicans are proposing, I mean, one, that there doesn't seem to be interest in a bill saying that embryos outside of the womb aren't persons, suggests that many conservatives believe that they are. And two, the fact that many of the bills at the moment seem to be expiring in April of next year, suggests that Republicans may not have been able to come to a, a kind of lasting consensus about how IVF should be regulated in the state. I mean, we'll see if those provisions are removed before the bill ultimately passes, but but that suggests there may be some dissension within the Republican caucus about what exactly to do about this issue. Hmm. And maybe trying to move it well past the election. The listener writes, my husband and I have frozen embryos, not in Alabama, but in another state that is luckily blue for now. However, it is an extreme concern to me that at some point in time in the future, that state may flip red. Then what do we do? So so my understanding, right, is that this ruling, Mary Ziegler, leaned heavily on that 2018 amendment to the Alabama Constitution, which provided protections for the rights of the unborn child, essentially. And aren't there several other states that have similar amendments or policies on the books? Yeah, so some, so some laws seem to be more legally enforceable than others, right? So for example, um, Arizona has a law that's tied up in the courts that declares that 
the word person or that under Alabama law uh, or Arizona law, excuse me, the word person applies to at the moment of fertilization. And this would be legally operational. That would clearly affect potentially IVF if it were being enforced. Conversely, you have laws like Alabama's and another 11 or 12 states that have broad policy proclamation about the rights of fetuses or unborn children, but it's not exactly clear how or when those will be enforceable. So really, I think the risk, if you're someone who is interested in IVF or has frozen embryos, depends on who's on the state Supreme Court, because these laws, for the most part, are not very clear. And so their meaning is ultimately going to depend on who's interpreting them. So if you have a very conservative state Supreme Court in a very conservative state or in a state where there's no accountability for for justices to voters at all, um, those are the areas I think we're most likely to see another ruling of this kind down the road. And part of the reason that we're seeing this in you know, more than a dozen places, as you say, is because of the growing importance of the fetal personhood movement. We've mentioned it a few times, but can you just remind us what it believes and what its ultimate goals are? So I think I think one important thing to emphasize is that for the most part, there's not really much daylight between the anti-abortion movement and the fetal personhood movement. There are not people in the anti-abortion movement who don't think life begins at conception or who don't think that rights begin at conception. So fetal personhood has been sort of a motivating reason for being for the anti-abortion movement since its formation in the 1960s. And what's changed, of course, is that now that Roe v. Wade is no longer there, it's possible for states to recognize a fetus or unborn child as a constitutional rights holder there's no federal right prohibiting that. And it's even possible for anti-abortion lawyers to imagine down the road that the U.S. Supreme Court could come to say that under federal constitutional law, a fetus or unborn child is a rights holder, and therefore laws like California's that recognize reproductive rights are themselves unconstitutional. So this interest in fetal personhood is not new at all. Um, If you read the Republican Party platform, for example, going back to the 1980s, it endorses the idea of a human life amendment that would recognize the word person under the due process and equal protection clauses as applying to life beginning at fertilization. Um, What's new, of course, is that progress for this movement is much more likely in a post-Roe world. And we're seeing efforts to make that progress happen, I think, particularly in the aftermath of this ruling. So is the idea that as you have more states embracing the idea of fetal personhood before birth, even for people who pursue IVF, for example, that it's setting the groundwork for a national law, uh, a national sort of recognition of fetal personhood that would then affect states like California? I think that's right, right? So I think when the Supreme Court overruled Roe, the conservative justices made a big deal of the fact that lots of red states were calling for Roe to be overturned. And so the justices said, well, look, that's evidence that Roe didn't settle this question. It's evidence that lots of people are interpreting the Constitution differently than we are. And so anti-abortion groups think, well, why not do the same thing about fetal personhood? Why not be able to say, well, all of these state courts think that an embryo or a fetus is a person. And all of these state laws treat a fetus or embryo as a person. So it's time for the US Supreme Court to reconsider whether 
a fetus or an embryo is a rights holder under federal constitutional law. They don't think that's going to happen soon, but that's kind of the next Roe v. Wade, right? Like the next big white whale for the anti-abortion movement. We're talking with UC Davis law professor Mary Ziegler and senior report at AL.com, Amy Yerkinen. And we're talking with you, our listeners. The listener writes, since the Alabama Supreme Court has ruled frozen embryos are children, can the parents declare them as dependents for tax purposes? Has this discussion come up, Amy? I think a lot of people... Yeah, a lot of people have kind of made jokes about that or, you know, using embryos to ride in the HOV lane. Um, You know, obviously, the Supreme Court kind of very narrowly made this ruling um, in terms of looking at Alabama's wrongful death of a child statute. Um, And Mary mentioned that there are implications beyond that once you recognize, you know, the personhood of an embryo or a fertilized egg. And I think that's a a huge concern, but um, it's unclear now exactly how some of those other implications might play out. You know, in addition to jokes about, you know, writing them off as dependents, you have heard people sort of voice legitimate worries about what this might mean for people with ectopic pregnancies, which is a fertilized egg or an embryo that's growing in the wrong place and is potentially, you know, a life-threatening or fatal condition. Or, you know, I've what about plan B, which is supposed to prevent the implantation of a fertilized egg? You know, so far, there really hasn't been any indication that this ruling could apply in those scenarios. But the Alabama Supreme Court has has ruled over and over again in the last 10 years that these that personhood does apply to embryos and fetuses. So if one of those cases comes up in the future, it's, you know, there's the possibility that they could rule, you know, in that way again, certainly. Well, the listener writes, so if an embryo is considered a child or person, what happens when all or some of the embryos don't take in a woman? It seems to me that by logic, a woman could be held accountable for the death of her embryos and the doctors who are involved in the procedure. It's not just about the doctor's liability. It's also on the woman receiving the embryo. Mary? Yeah. I mean, I think the the success rate for a transfer is, is you know, maybe around 50 percent. I, I could be yeah. a little bit off on that. But yeah, it's it's not clear whether a woman, obviously, you know, the attorney general's office has said they wouldn't prosecute in those cases or they wouldn't prosecute a woman or a provider criminally. Um, but we don't know about how the different district attorneys might to react might react to certain cases. Yeah. Mary, do you want to weigh in on that as well? Yeah. I mean, so many states that have wrongful death of a minor law don't don't spell out whether um, civil liability could apply against, um, you know, pregnant people themselves. Um, and so and that's true in, in other states, uh, because Alabama isn't the only state that has a wrongful death law that applies to um, fetuses and, and embryos. So there's a lot of ambiguity about that. And the attorney general statement doesn't really help because um, you know, as Amy was saying, this isn't a criminal case, right? I mean, so far, all we know is that you can bring a wrongful death suit. So what, it would be helpful to know if you could bring a wrongful death suit against someone. I, I mean, the one, I guess, safeguard to the extent there is one is that to bring any wrongful death case, you have to show that someone was negligent. 
But so if someone didn't do anything and they just had a miscarriage through no fault of their own, there doesn't seem to be a wrongful death suit that would even be possible. Conversely, if someone did something, so I think that one of the possibilities with personhood is that it opens the door to um, potential wrongful death liability if someone does something that's counterindicated during pregnancy. Like what if somebody drinks a glass of wine or takes an Advil or something, right? Would that open them up? to a potential lawsuit from a partner or someone else who is angry that a miscarriage resulted. Um, I think that's much less clear. Yes. And and we've seen some concerning things in that arena in states that have passed laws like this. The Cisna writes, we have been through five IVFs, three in the U.S. and two across the world. We eventually succeeded in the process. We had to go through the heartbreaking disappointments of about 50 to 60 non-viable embryos, and there was no one to blame. This law is moronic and not based in science. Regardless of which party I support, this proposal must be killed. It only harms access to birth parenthood. We have not encountered a single individual through the procedures who was not 100% invested in the success of the procedure. Every doctor, nurse, acupuncturist, and staff is 200% committed. We're talking about the implications of an Alabama state Supreme Court ruling that frozen embryos are children. We're learning also what led up to the decision, and we're hearing how it's affecting the state of Alabama. We're also hearing your questions and comments, listeners. Have you or someone you know undergone IVF treatment or plan to? How do you feel about what's happening in Alabama? Do you work for a reproductive health organization or as a health provider in a clinic? What are your thoughts on the ruling as well? Maybe you have questions about the impacts of fetal personhood, the fetal personhood movement, and are worried about other states following Alabama's lead. Maybe you're from the state of Alabama. How do you feel about the ruling in your home state? The email address is forum at kqed.org. You can find us on our social channels at KQED Forum on X, Instagram, or our digital community on Discord. You can call us at 866-733-6786, 866-733-6786. We're talking with Amy Yurkinen, senior reporter at AL.com, focused on healthcare and criminal justice, and Mary Ziegler, professor of law and a legal historian at UC Davis School of Law. More after the break. Stay with us. I'm Mina Kim. Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. Set 10 years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. We've all got those parts of our house where the internet just won't go. Well, if you had wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you could worry less about dead spots. Because with wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you get fast speeds, reliable connection in every room, and power for all of your devices, even when everyone's online. That's wall-to-wall Wi-Fi only with Xfinity. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. 
Welcome back to Forum. I'm Mina Kim. An Alabama high court has deemed frozen embryos used in fertility treatment as children, and discarding them can hold you liable for wrongful death. Here's Illinois Senator Tammy Duckworth. I warned that red states would come for IVF, and now they have. That was Duckworth on Tuesday, who's leading an effort by Senate Democrats to protect IVF, but it was blocked yesterday by Mississippi Senator Cindy Hyde-Smith. Mayor Ziegler, I want to get your reaction to that, the fact that, uh, so basically, at the federal level, Democrats are trying to protect IVF by basically um, declaring that anybody who is pursuing that type of reproductive fertility treatment, that, that health care treatment would not be subject to any of the issues, that they, that they would be protected, that they would not be subject to any of these states that have these laws that say that they are children. And then you have, you know, a Republican Senator Cindy Hyde-Smith basically saying, blocking that effort, and basically saying to leave it up to the states. And I just want to ask you what, what your reaction is to that and what you think uh, that says about what the broader effort to try to protect IVF will look like? Well, I, I mean, I think it it tells you that, um, one, I don't think that support for IVF is as straightforward as for conservatives as they're making it sound, in part because many of them do believe life begins at conception, and that is something that's hard to square with how IVF currently proceeds. Um, I think there's also a lot of concern among conservatives that, because IVF is a reproductive health procedure and abortion is too, that any bill protecting IVF will be a backdoor way to try to support access to abortion or contraception or something that uh, Republicans may have more of a problem with. And we know that Senator Hyde-Smith, one, defended her decision by saying that red states were not coming for IVF, the Alabama decision notwithstanding, that she said Alabama did not quote unquote ban IVF. And she suggested that it was full of what she called poison pills, essentially suggesting that Democrats had a broader agenda than protecting IVF. So part of this is just a signal of how polarized the nation is. But I think it's also a signal that uh, supporting IVF for Republicans isn't a straightforward proposition. Another listener writes, why isn't the court ruling justifying God's intentions for human life being challenged for its lack of separation of church and state? Last I checked, there is a constitutional guarantee of the separation of church and state. Then again, with the current composition of most of the Supreme Court, they probably wouldn't see anything wrong with such reasoning. Is there anything that that can be challenged in terms of this decision on those grounds, Maria Ziegler? Well, I think for it's unlikely, right? Because the the operational parts of the court's ruling are not about religion at all. I mean, that's that's what lawyers would call dicta, right? So the the holdings, the legally binding conclusions of the case, are just about the interpretation of the state wrongful death law. And then there's a lot of scripture that's thrown in for as the rationale for that ruling, but not the ruling itself. Um, I do think too that this Supreme Court believes that Judeo-Christian traditions have informed the history of the United States and the understanding of the Constitution. Maybe not to the extent the Chief Justice of the Alabama Supreme Court would proclaim, but I think it would be an uphill battle. And we've seen a lot of conservatives responding that way to the, the critique of the, the language of the opinion by saying, it, you know, we think that Christian teachings have influenced our traditions and that there's nothing wrong with saying that. Uh, interestingly, the Chief Justice also framed this as not being about his own views of scripture, 
but essentially appealing to democracy and saying, you know, the voters of Alabama want their constitution to mean this. Like I'm channeling the will of the people. And that, that may also make it harder to challenge. But I think what you're seeing in the ruling too, in terms of future possibilities, is that more conservative judges and lawyers are comfortable essentially repackaging these religious beliefs as claims about history and tradition in a variety of settings. So we're likely to see more of that going forward. Let me go to caller Elizabeth in San Carlos. Hi, Elizabeth, you're on. Hi, thank you so much. I am a mom of IVF twins after five tries of IVF. I have experienced two ectopic pregnancies. I have also adopted a son, and I think this is such a very personal experience. Oh, and I'm also a healthcare professional who has done reproductive health counseling for many years. And I just think that this is such a very personal experience, and we know that an embryo can't live unless it's in the right place. I agree with your take on how personal the experience really, really is, and how just emotionally draining, as well as physically taxing, it can be on a family, besides financially as well. And as you mentioned, the multiple attempts, other people mentioning multiple attempts, um, you know, just the fact that there is no guarantee that undergoing IVF means that you will be able to fulfill your dreams of having a family. And so to have this additional layer placed on it has been what we've been hearing a lot um, from people undergoing IVF in Alabama. Let me go to caller Louise in Berkeley. Louise, you're on. Oh, hi. Yeah, it, very similar to the lady before. Um, I had several IVFs that uh, treatments that implantation didn't occur. So the point being that the ruling is so ridiculous. Um, the embryo could be, has potential to being a child, but it isn't until implantation and successful delivery, unless, or, you know, cesarean, whatever. But miscarriages, all kinds of things can happen. Uh, before there is a child. Louise, thanks for bringing that in. Amy Yurkinen, what do you know about the families who brought this case? Have have they or their lawyers said anything about the ruling? Is this an outcome that they wanted? Because it just seems hard to understand a couple pursuing IVF being okay with this result. Yeah, um, they have not spoken publicly to me, and I have reached out to their attorneys about this. Um, So, you know, basically what I know about these families is what we've read in the legal filings. And these are families who have successfully used IVF in the past. I think all three had children through IVF. Um, However, you know, what happened to them was also tragic, you know, to lose these embryos um, through what they thought was negligent action, you know, on, you know, by the hospital to not have the doors locked or to not have this area secured, you know, they obviously went through some trauma dealing with the loss of these embryos and they wanted to file a lawsuit and to, to, you know, get some sort of, you know, payment for that. And what happened was the trial judge dismissed it saying that Alabama's wrongful death of a child did not apply to these embryos. Now, obviously, the Supreme Court has sent this case back down to the trial judge, to the trial court. So they will have the opportunity to make their case now that 
they should receive some compensation for their loss um, under the wrongful death statute. And I will definitely be following that case to see if we get to hear more about these families and, and more about what they experienced throughout this case. Well, Natalie writes, thanks so much for this important discussion. My heart breaks for the families that are now stuck in this frozen system. My husband and I are now the incredibly grateful parents of two thriving young children as a result of the IVF process. I wonder what can be done to create immediate avenues for the Alabama families seeking IVF to resume their treatment plans immediately. I just can't imagine how frustrating and unimaginable this new and complete barrier is for the parents who are already facing such an uphill battle. Are there any avenues that you are hearing about, Amy, that are being discussed? No, I really haven't heard. Beyond sort of the legislative fix, I don't think that there are any avenues right now for patients of the three clinics that have definitively paused treatments. Um, They can't move their embryos out of state, as we mentioned. So I think that those families are just in limbo right now until, until the legislature passes a bill or if something happens on that front. Possibly we could see clinics trying to restart some treatments, but I really think right now providers are just too worried about the civil liability to move forward under this new kind of legal environment. Yeah, the civil liability. Stacy writes, we donated embryos to another couple and they donated the remainder to UCSF. How will the Alabama court case impact donation of embryos, uh, Mary, if you want, or Amy, either of you, but I, I think it was... You, Amy, that I heard take a quick breath? Sure. Yeah. I mean, I've talked to families who are facing this decision. You know, typically the families in IVF treatment are given three options for their embryos. You know, if they don't want to use them, they can discard them, donate them to science, or donate them to other families, as you mentioned. And the families who have frozen embryos right now that they don't plan to use a lot of them feel like they can't donate them to science or discard them at this point. As far as I know, they do feel comfortable donating them to other families, Um, but I'm not certain, you know, obviously if the clinics aren't doing those transfers and then it doesn't matter whether they're willing to donate them or not because that just isn't happening. Do you want to add anything, Mary? Yeah, I think I think it's it, Amy's right that there's less legal risk in um, giving the embryos to other couples. Anti-abortion groups often support that process. They call it embryo do- um, adoption. Uh, so I think that that should still theoretically be on the table um, because you are allowed to adopt a child just as you are, um, whether it's so if, if we're thinking in those analogical terms. But I think donating for research or destroying excess embryos, which is, I think, a a big deal if you think, again, there are people who begin IVF and then whose relationships end, right? And so that's another interesting wrinkle. Um, Are you obligated to see all of those children or embryos, you know, attempt implanted, right? Potentially becoming children when your relationship with whoever that is has dissolved, right? Um, So that's another interesting question that we'll, might, we may or may not see answered in Alabama, depending on what happens next. We're talking about the fallout from the Supreme Court decision on embryos in Alabama. And let me remind listeners that you are listening to Forum. I'm Mina Kim. Amy, you've noted that fetal personhood as an issue goes way back in Alabama. 
And, and Mary Ziegler has pointed out that, of course, this idea that life begins at fertilization is not new. So did, did people in Alabama see this coming for IVF? Or did it take a lot of state residents by surprise the same way that a lot of people in the U.S. voice surprise at just not really knowing about this case and, and this potential ruling? I think people who are paying attention to this issue are not surprised by this ruling. Um, however, I think this case was fairly quiet up until the ruling was released on February 16th. So not a lot of people really knew this case was out there. But yeah, I mean, going back in history, um, you know, you can look back more than 10 years. In 2011, the Alabama Supreme Court ruled that wrongful death applied when a woman had a miscarriage in a car crash. So that was a, a pretty big ruling for personhood at that time. And then in 2013, they again ruled that a law that was written to protect children who had already been born from meth labs or other drug exposures also applied to unborn children, and that's the state's chemical endangerment law. Um, and since that ruling, there have been more than, you know, a thousand arrests of women for using drugs during pregnancy. Um, and that's been playing out over the last decade. Um, but that's been a pretty profound, that's had a lot of impact on a lot of women who maybe don't have as many resources as women who are using IVF. But this case, it, it takes sort of the decisions made in those cases, and it it just kind of elaborates on it further because the court has already ruled that fetuses are people and should be protected by laws that are written for children. You know, this ruling kind of pushes that back further and says, you know, it's not just fetuses, it's also embryos and it's also fertilized eggs. How would you ca characterize the expectation of this in other states, Mary Ziegler, and other parts of the country? Or do you think... I hate to use silver lining, but do you think that one of the things that this case has done has exposed to people just the extent of how far a belief in fetal personhood can go? Yeah, I think it it really depends, right? So there are some states like Alabama that have, you know, they're essentially politically one-party states. I think you could say fairly California is that too. And so there are other places in the country where belief in fetal personhood is strong, where if a state Supreme Court reached a similar or even broader conclusion about fetal personhood, I don't think there would be any, any consequences for the judges of that court. Or if a legislature passed a law to that effect, I don't think voters would turn them out of office. So I think on the one hand, you see anti-abortion groups looking at this ruling and saying, in some parts of the country, in the South and Midwest, we can replicate this success elsewhere. I think when it comes to national elections, to competitive races, um, this has woken up a lot of voters to the fact that the implications of kind of post-Dobbs legal order are going to reach beyond just abortion. We already knew that, of course, because some of the people whose cases are coming to the courts were people who were managing miscarriages or stillbirths who were not really abortion seekers in a classic sense. But this is a reminder that the implications are going to reach even further um, and potentially affect people who are trying to start families rather than people who are not ready to. Mary, you've referenced the deep irony that the fetal personhood argument, when applied to IVF, means that more people who want to be parents won't be able to. So how do you untangle this? Like, how do 
people who support fetal personhood recon- reconcile that real world effect against their goal? Is it just such a ideology that, you know, you adhere to it at all costs? I, I- yeah, I mean, I think that an important thing to realize is if you're sort of putting your head yourself in the head of someone who believes in fetal personhood, you're not just, you know, saying that because you're a pronatalist and you want you know, women and people who can get pregnant out as many children as possible, and it's all a smokescreen. These people, whatever is underlying their belief in fetal personhood, believe a fetus is a person. They say a fetus is a person when they're alone. You can see this in their meeting minutes and their correspondence. They say it when it hurts them politically. And so this really is, for a lot of people, there is some of the times it's a religious belief, sometimes it's an ideological belief, but it's something that's very important to a lot of people, so much so that they're willing to pursue it at cost to their political allies. And the strength of this in terms of representing a segment of the U.S. population, has it grown dramatically? Or is it just a movement that's emboldened or just really reflected in our elected representatives for political purposes? I just, I don't know if you were able to make that assessment, but I am just so curious what you think, Mary. Well, I I don't think that there's any sign that more Americans believe in fetal personhood. If you look at polling from Gallup, Pew, and others, the percentage of people who, um, well, at least in this vision of personhood, right? So Pew has some interesting data. There were about a third of Americans when asked who said, I believe life, it begins at conception and a fetus is a person, and I believe abortion is a right. So one thing that that tells you is that there's a subset of Americans who think fetuses are people who don't think that means you have to criminally punish anyone or stop people from having IVF, right? There's there's sort of two, those two things can live in people's minds. If you assume fetal personhood does mean you have to criminally punish or civilly sue lots of people in these settings, the numbers are and have remained pretty low, right? In the ballpark of 10 to 13% of Americans. So what's changed, I think, is the broader political landscape in such a way that the anti-abortion movement feels comfortable pursuing this kind of agenda, even when it makes Republicans very uncomfortable, even when most Americans reject it, right? It's not that more people agree with this. It's that anti-abortion groups feel that they can make progress without people agreeing. And ultimately, more people are affected and confusion, it sounds like, may ensue. Well, Mary Ziegler, thanks so much for talking with us. Amy Yurkinen, also appreciate you as well. Amy is with AL.com. Mary Ziegler, a professor of law and a historian at UC Davis School of Law. Thank you, listeners, for chiming in today. Thank you, Mark Nieto, for producing today's segment. I'm Mina Kim. Funds for the production of KQED's Forum are provided by the John S. and James L. Knight Foundation, the Generosity Foundation, the Germanicos Foundation, and the Heising Simons Foundation. Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. Set 10 years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. We've all got those parts of our house where the internet just won't go. 
Well, if you had wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you could worry less about dead spots. Because with wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you get fast speeds, reliable connection in every room, and power for all of your devices, even when everyone's online. That's wall-to-wall Wi-Fi only with Xfinity. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. All over the country, we need to improve reading in Wisconsin. Schools are changing the way they teach reading. I'm calling for a renewed focus on literacy. We have gotten this wrong in New York and all across the nation. And it's happening because of a podcast. I think your podcast has changed my life. And I'm going to share this podcast with everyone I meet. Sold a Story investigates how teaching kids to read went wrong. New episodes of Sold a Story are available now.